Welcome to the EY Next Wave Banking in Asia Pacific podcast. The payments landscape in Asia Pacific continues to experience a wave of innovation driven by technological advancement, as well as consumer and businesses' desire for on-demand banking and payment solutions. Payments leaders must make decisions today to win in the future as technology giants, fintechs, merchants, and social media giants have all created their own digital payment offerings. So what might the future of payments look like in this region? For today's episode, I'm glad to introduce Claire Spall, our EY financial services partner based in Sydney, who will be leading today's conversation with two special guests. Over to you, Claire. Thanks, Andrew, for the introduction. Our special guests today are here with me in Sydney, Australia. First, Ethan Tees, Executive General Manager, Payments at the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, and May Lam, EY Financial Services Consulting Partner, as well as EY Asia Pacific Payments Leader, and our EY Oceania FinTech Leader. That's quite a list of titles you've got there, May. So in this episode today, we will uncover the key trends shaping the payments evolution. How should banks be considering their partnership strategy with fintechs, as well as a dive into the banking infrastructure needed to enable agility and scalability for the continual evolution of payments? So hello, Ethan and May. Thank you so much for joining me today. So let's get started by setting the scene with a macro question. So Ethan, perhaps we'll go to you first. Can you give me a sense of the macro megatrends that you're seeing impacting payments here in Australia? And then, May, it would be wonderful if you could compare and contrast that with what you're seeing more broadly across Asia-Pacific. Sure thing, Clara. And thanks so much for having me, Clara, and to the EY team. This is an exciting topic and uh, has been for a couple of years and will be for a few more. When I think about the megatrends that are affecting Australia, they really mirror the global megatrends, right, where payments are becoming faster, safer, more open, better, in many cases, better value. Here in Australia, we've got lots of changes in the underlying capabilities, which are driving the uptake of digital payments in emerging payment technologies. That's both in traditional clearing streams and also in new emerging clearing streams. We have the faster payment infrastructure here. We're a good 10 years behind the UK and, and several years behind other markets, but it's moving really fast. So we just launched at CBA Pay2 over the weekend. And that was a really exciting moment where the NPP, which is already doing over 3 million transactions a day, has a new capability for mandates, which is exciting. And we're seeing a lot of reform in regulation. So we're seeing the rules of the game, hopefully improving and better matching the current state and the future state. And in that, there's an opening in the payment system, which we don't know what's going to happen yet, but it's certainly exciting. Thanks, Ethan. And great to be here. Thanks for having me. So from the APAP perspective, that's uh, probably that's uh, four megatrends that will summarize. The first one is that the changing customer behaviors, preferences, expectations. So pandemic certainly accelerates the digital transformation, but also the relevance as well. So when it comes to payments, customers have endless demand on different ways of um, payment, like contactless payment the different ways of access funds, so that hands to the buy now, pay later, digital wallet. And from the business's perspective, it's growing their e-commerce. The society's perspective is looking at solutions on cash replacement, which is accelerates the digital economies. The second trend that we see is that the channel development. So for a long time, probably even you agree with me that when we talk about payments, it's about ubiquitous payments, multi-channel, omni-channel. So what we see now is not an option, 
it is actually a key enabler for the industry convergence. When it comes to the channel, now the it's spread and click, so certain transactions can start online and finish in store or vice versa. So we see more developments in the targeted segment of our point of sales uh, solutions, unattended payment, in-app payment, and this payment capability actually became the first way of financial services moving into non-financial services, and we see that as uh, embedded finance. The third trend that we see in the APAC region is that uh, leveraging the emerging technologies and the infrastructure change. So as mentioned by Ethan about the real-time payment, the open, so open architecture, open banking, open finance, open data, the NFC, the QR code development, especially very strong in the ACR region, cross-border payments, DeFi, decentralized finance, tokenization, uh, leveraging the IoT, 5G technology, I can go on the list, uh, machine learning, <laughs> AI, etc. So that is that is disrupting the holistic landscape. And then the fourth one that Ethan touched on is the regulation. So the regulation compliance and also the trans-regional initiative like the CDR here, ISO 2022 migration, payment licensing, and also the CBDC. Yeah. So these are the four trends. Yeah. Great. Thanks for outlining those. And I think the breadth of those trends just goes to show how payments is really playing a vital role on how we reimagine the roles that the banks will be playing going forward across Asia Pacific. And Ethan, I'm sure this is a key part of your role at CBA in terms of thinking about payments and how it helps to reinvent the bank. So could you tell us a little bit more around how this is playing out in terms of those key trends we've talked about and how they apply to your day job within your bank? Yeah, hopefully it is a big part of my job if I'm doing it right. And, um, you know, it's interesting, May mentioned moving beyond payments and it's 100% what we're looking at at CBA. So CBA is a digital leader and a technology leader in this market, and we hope on the global stage as well. And we're reimagining the role of the bank in payments in a big way. We're embracing end-to-end experiences, and we have this great privilege of seeing 40% of the transactions in Australia. We see both sides of many of those transactions. That gives us valuable insight into our customers' financial lives, and nobody else has that. We're trying to bring these to life, and we have to do that in a way that is moving beyond what the bank is traditionally focused on in just enabling finance, we want to enable our customers' experiences at large. And in some ways, we're doing that in specific ecosystems. In other ways, we're doing that kind of across the board. So it's, it's a big space for us. Mm. And this role, as you've described there, of payments being able to enable financial institutions to see their customers' financial lives in a broader sense is really powerful, both in terms of enabling that enhanced customer experience that you talked about, but also that role that we have to play in retaining and building trust. But as you've pointed out, in reality, we know that that comes with a broader ecosystem, which prompts the question around how should banks be thinking about that strategy with regarding partnerships with fintechs? Yeah, it's a big question. And I think one that at probably every bank in the world, there's a big discussion happening today. At CBA, we've got pretty good balance. So we have our X15 Ventures, where we're harnessing innovation in the fintech community, partnering and introducing. In fact, earlier this week, I was at a, an X15 event called Accelerate, where we brought in you know, a bunch of fintechs in payments. And it was a really exciting conversation, but it also showed how this is an emerging conversation. And as we work with the fintech community, you know, we're working on PaaS, for example, payments as a service. That's going to be something that opens up the bank, just like the payment system is opening up but we'll be selective in how we expose that. And we'll make sure we're partnering with the right folks and do that in a safe way. And so 
we've got innovation inside the bank, we've got innovation through X15, and we're supporting innovation in the broader economy. We think all three of those are things that we need to do at CBA. So May, I know that we regularly conduct research in this area and we publish our EY FinTech census. Can you give us a bit of background in terms of what the findings have revealed from that research? Sure, Claire. So um, EY is actually doing the seventh consecutive year of the FinTech census for Australia. So we certainly have a lot of data, the trend and information of that. So uh, we just actually closed the census on Tuesday, so I can't really comment on this year. But looking at last year as a sector, we are no longer a startup. It is a scale up to grown up. In fact, Australia is uh, ranked number six in the world and number two in Asia Pacific. So as a sector that we have uh, generated uh, quite a significant uh, revenue like compared to the prior year. So about uh, 78% of the industry is now post-revenue and we're creating a lot of jobs. And when it comes to the payments, I would like to emphasize that last year's census um, have told us that pay tech is representing about 43% of the industry. And uh, the early data of this year is also trending the same way. Wonderful. I love that comparison that we're no longer a startup, we're now a grown-up when it comes to payments. So I always find it useful to bring to life these theoretical discussions like we're having today with some examples. So it'd be wonderful if we could share perhaps next some examples of innovative use cases that we've seen rolled out in Australia and broadly across APAC. And May, perhaps I'll start with you. Yeah, sure. So like, I think as a probably I just that's a little bit of context in terms of the Asia-Pacific perspective. So APAC is a home to 55.8% of the global e-commerce sales and 60.2% of e-commerce payments are through the digital and mobile wallet. And FH about 30% decline of the cash since the pandemic. So with that kind of landscape that we see that as the ecosystem, we see a fintech come into play, the big tech come into play, and then the incumbent banks is also having different strategy to go to market. And one of the major bands in the ACR region that we see that is quite interesting. So they look at the segmentation. So they bring back the good segmentation of the banking, understanding how to serve the customer from consumer to business banking to institutional banking and provide different um, payment capability, whether it is a platform to embrace the super apps for consumer. From business perspective, they're also looking at the, from Michael's me to SME. So what are the underbank, underserved markets? They have a more innovative payment capability to go in. So it's whether it's payment in a box kind of services or uh, building not beyond just payment or getting paid is leveraging the payment data to do the reconciliations, helping the businesses to manage their book and grow their business as well. And then from the institutional perspective, it's also quite interesting because uh, the bank started to be very clever of leveraging the assets like banking as a service or providing the payment as a service. So helping the institutional corporate treasury to manage their treasury management as well. Wonderful. And Ethan, I know I've seen your face smiling back at me on a number of news feeds recently. So there must be some great examples that you'd like to share from CBA. Yeah, I've got a few. So the one you've been seeing recently is Pay2. And it's pretty exciting because we're the first major to bring this to our customers at Broadly on the receive, strangely named side of the transaction, where you can receive a mandate and a request for payment. And we've also done some test transactions with some of the, with Telstra and the Good Shepherd here in Australia, 
on the send side. So this is another area where CBA can enable both ends of the payment and we're the first in the majors. So that's pretty exciting. What does Pay2 do? I mean, at its simplest, it digitizes and modernizes direct debit, makes it real time. But that opens up a number of other use cases. And this is where we're really going to start to see convergence between card rails and real-time payment rails. So that's really exciting. And the other thing we've been doing is working on our ecosystems I mentioned earlier. And this is an area where we have this privilege to see the financial lives of our customers so we can help them with those lives. So I'll talk about two. We've got health and shopping and health. You know, we've brought to market a proposition where customers can search for a provider, they can book, they can pay, and they can claim. So end to end, that transaction, we would have focused on pay in the past. Now we can enable all that. That's really exciting. And that's great for us because we can help our consumers and consumers in Australia at large, but also we can help our business customers who are practitioners. So that's really cool. And then shopping, this is an area, again, where we can help introduce our customers to opportunities. We recently celebrated $20 million in savings for our customers in our shopping proposition, and that's just growing and compounding. So, you know, we have propositions where we can introduce discounts, cash back, and we can actually help our customers find opportunities to save money, which is great for our customers. It's really cool. And there's some great examples there, much broader than financial services. And obviously, this is a banking podcast, so we have been focused on banking. And we have heard that lingo of embedded finance being mentioned already earlier in the conversation. So we're hearing a lot more around this concept and the adoption of it more broadly in, you know, sectors beyond financial services, such as retail and telcos. So Ethan, perhaps can you help our listeners understand what we mean by embedded finance and how banks should be considering this role for them in the new model going forward? Yeah, I'll give it my best. I mean, I think it's a really hard to approach terms sometimes, but to me, it's really simple. It defines itself. It's about embedding finance into other services and experiences and offering a more seamless end-to-end experience for the customer. And so this allows any provider, could be a bank, it could be somebody else, to provide richer, more seamless experiences and to kind of get on with it in terms of driving the economy, which is really cool. The intertwining of payments and finance creates some questions, right, that we're going to have to answer as we get into embedded finance in a more meaningful way. There are big regulatory questions around, you know, how do you, today we regulate institutions. And we say we regulate activities, but that gets really complicated when you get into embedded finance. So how's that going to work? There's also questions about how we introduce experiences into the financial system and keep things safe, but also move at pace, right? So this is going to be, you know, tremendously important. And that's where we have this intersection with BAS, banking as a service, and PAS, payments as a service. So we're open to it, we're learning, and we're really excited about it. Great. And maybe, May, we'll jump back to that research that we've done before, in particular around embedded finance. What did we hear in that research? Yeah. So you are actually projecting that is a 7.2 trillion of a market of embedded finance by 2030. So we see that, as I mentioned earlier, payment is the first financial services moving into the non-financial services. But the embedded finance is actually open a lot of different opportunities for like open uh, insurance or embedded insurance. As Ethan mentioned quite a few times about the word experiences. So it's providing different experiences. And what I would like to call out is that from the bank perspective, what that means. So bank traditionally as a, maybe talking about like in Australia or any developed economy nations that 
has rapidly transitioned as an industry from into a service-driven industry. So from the main bank relationship, traditionally between the business and the bank, is also transitioning from the previously anchor on lending to now transactional banking. And the number one transactional banking need is payment. So which is precisely what is being disrupted. And that is the relevance of why payments for banks is so important because it's moving beyond, again, a payment capability itself is closer to the customer experiences and their, their journey. So when the customer, whether they're consumer or business, when they come to payment, they don't even need to think about that. I am doing a payment transaction. It is part of the journey. And I think that is the growth and the need of the embedded finance. Wonderful. So I don't think we can talk about payments without talking about data. It's such an important element. And data arguably could be seen as a new capital within organisations as we consider the sources and the uses of data. So I know neither of you would consider payments as a cost centre. Can you share your thoughts on why it's essential that it is seen as a source of revenue and profit? May, perhaps we'll go to you first. So if data is the new oil, behaviour will be the alternate energy. And payment data is about the commercialization and the data monetization opportunity. And what it refers to is that any use cases on which that's the information in payment messages or in the transaction records can be leveraged to deliver value, creating new revenue streams or driving efficiency. So the example that can provide is like, for example, the common use case that we see a lot is about internal operations. So how can using the payment data, the pattern, to understand the cost reduction and driving the efficiency gains and uh, improve the structural processes, uh, helping the dispute of the payment. And that can shift that savings and to maybe enhance the margin and have better customer experience. And also um, enhancing the existing services so banks can improve their payment tracking, provide stronger support for the relationship managers and having a more meaningful conversation, helping the businesses to enhance, for example, the liquidity and the transparency of what are the needs from the basis growth perspective. And then, of course, I think the CBA probably, Ethan can talk more about that, is that what is that new proposition and the business model? As you mentioned earlier about you seeing two sides of the coin, so both the consumer and the business, there's huge opportunity to close the loop, uh, leveraging those data and we imagine what is the role of the bank in the future. Yeah, that's really good. And at CBA, you know, we think about, yes, about payments monetization or data monetization in this case. And at the end of the day, we're in the customer business. And at the heart of the customer relationship with the bank is a transactional relationship. And that's really payments, right? So we start there. And we have the privilege to be part of both sides of the experience at times. We have the privilege of having that data and being able to create better experiences for our customers with that data. I talked a little bit about the ecosystems earlier, but there's more to it than just that. And so we don't spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, what the P&L is for payments because we know the intrinsic value and that it is really about our, our whole business. This is in the middle of it. But on the data end of things, you know, we talked earlier about ISO 2.0.22. There's a bigger data payload. And in all of our modern payments infrastructure, we can bring more data into the payment message. That brings huge opportunities to create more value. And actually, for the banks and, and the operators of these messages, 
to replace some of the parallel processes that are out there and be able to cater to that inside of the data that we're now moving. That's going to be an exciting next chapter. And I'm really curious to see how everyone monetizes and innovates around that. Great. And may we have discussed this data part being critical to the success for payments, but what are the other critical success factors that you'd highlight to to be considering by our listeners? Yeah, so I think that's quite a few critical success factors. First one is um, money, so the investment. And investment envelopes that for bank perspective is actually quite still quite heavily due to the compliance and risk and regulation obligation. So is that how to leverage that investment opportunity moving from compliance to compete? I think that's one critical success factor. And the second one is that I kind of mentioned before is that um, the segmentation. So really focus on the distinctive verticals. We see some of the international banks and the APAC region as well, that they are really honing in onto their sweet spot. So the vertical may be health, maybe transport, maybe property. So we see those different vertical positions come to market. Because when it comes to payment, it's not one size fits all. It needs to be relevant. And then the third one is that the leveraging the partnership and ecosystem. Because banks do have the duty of um, keeping their ADR license is, is a responsibility. So they can be seen as moving slow, but it's not necessarily the case. So it's embracing the right partner, modulize the, the payment products, make it more open, make it more consumable by different partners and creating a new model. I think that's really key to do that. And then the last but not least, let's kind of touch on the data. So keep um, having this uh, group data strategy, understanding how could you creates the new model, new services, and closing the loops of um, the bank. I love moving from comply to compete. You know, it's a big struggle, I think, for every institution, especially at this time. Right now, you know, there's an elevated demand. And, you know, we think about, can we find a way to invest in, in such that we're complying, but that it's and, 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 right? And we're innovating, improving, modernizing. But when I think about critical success factors, it's all about balance. And balance comes down to being on the right foundations. So we've got to get the foundations right in the industry to ensure that all parties are motivated to innovate, grow, and drive new experiences. So that'll come down to really boring stuff inside of our real-time payments infrastructure, our card infrastructure around the rules and, and the economics and these sort of things. But it's also finding balance between the tensions of opening up, keeping things safe right? Moving fast and moving in an organized way such that we can bring that ubiquity that you talked about at the beginning, May, to all of our experiences. Because that's one thing about payments. They're an inherent network economy. You've got to bring the whole market along. And that means everyone's got to be motivated to row the boat in the same direction, do that in a safe way, and bring all of those great outcomes to our customers. And so, You know, finding balance, getting the foundations right, those are, to me, the two most critical success factors. Wonderful. So we've covered a lot of ground today. So I have one important question for you both in closing, and that is, what is the one piece of advice that you would like to give a CEO listening to the podcast today? Ethan, I'll go to you first. I'd just say get to know your payments people and get to know the industry. That's the most important thing you can do. Good. May? I would ask whether do they have the group Y payment strategy? Do they have a robust operating model and the investment governance? Payment is a crucial part for the bank of the growth strategies. It's no longer 
a cost center. It should never be a cost center. It is revenue generating revenue, a source of uh, revenue foundation, the relationship building. So it's moving away from the commodity solution towards the business critical value added services. Wonderful. Thank you both so much for joining me today. It's been a very rich discussion. I've certainly learned a lot. And perhaps in summary, a few takeaways for me. The first one is that, that payments obviously is playing a critical part in how we reimagine the role of banks going forward. And we see that that's needed as consumers demand more speed and more insight. The ecosystem needed for success means that some of the traditional models we may be used to need to be challenged and that collaboration across the ecosystems need to be embraced. And payments comes hand in hand with rich data, which provides an opportunity, but also comes with responsibility. And our governance bodies need to make sure that we ensure that that is balanced. And as May eloquently put it, that we we make sure that we need to comply to compete. So thank you so much today. Thank you. Thank you, Clara. You've listened to the EY Next Wave Banking in Asia Pacific podcast. To learn more about EY, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at ey.com forward slash banking. If you would like to have a further conversation on what you've just heard or learn more about joining our team at EY, please contact us via the details found in the description. If you like this episode, please leave a review to help us bring you more insightful and relevant content. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.